Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. I know that you were online today. Yes. And I know that you pointed out Mary H.K. Choi's tweet to me. Do you want to just generally sum up what Mary said? Mary said a lot of things. I don't know which tweet you're specifically talking well, about. Well, wasn't there one that said, like, there's two things that go on on Twitter it's either, or social media? It's complaining or it's celebrating? Yes. And I'm like, oh, shit. She called out our whole career. That's it. That's my life. It's my just life complaining is, yep. or celebrating. Yeah. So here we are. Well, okay. Well, that sort of segues very nicely into what I really want to talk about right now. What's that? My pants are ripped. And How'd so you that, rip them? I don't know. Well, I think it's just over time. But do, you, do you think that they are too far down the line to be replaced? Yo, yeah. I mean, I don't know how to sew. So here's where we are right now. It's one of those things I don't think that anybody will notice, mm-hmm. but like they're ripped in the crotch, and so I'm I'm su- I'm super self conscious well, about ho- it. Well, hold on, are yeah. you celebrating this or are you complaining about it? Let's just right. We need to figure out which box we're going to put this in. Right. Uh, I would say, ladies, uh, I'm celebrating. No, <laughs> I'm celebrating. I would say I'm complaining. I have well, to, no, no, I have no, to no, go no, get no, new jeans. Yeah. It's it's not it's not like ripped pants are out of style. No, but nobody is walking around with like ripped crotch jeans. It's everybody Yet. wants. Yeah, you're right. I'm a I'm a trailblazer. I'm a trendsetter. That's right. We're being progressive over here. Shouts to flow. Yeah. I I do want to say people usually walk around with ripped uh, jeans in their knees. Mine is a little higher up. My well, ribs. So what's the plan? The plan is to get new jeans. Maybe I can get sponsored. You know what? I celebrate that. I uh, thank you for celebrating and complaining. We checked off both boxes. So so, so all right. The plan. Right, but, the but plan you, now. Yeah, you want to do something more meaningful than no, that? No, 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 no. Go ahead. The, with the plan now with your pants. The plan now with my pants is. Do everybody, you keep wearing them? No, I want to get new jeans. No, okay. But if you don't get them today, what will you do? Stay indoors. <laughs> that, that does sound on brand for me, honestly. <laughs> honestly. The, if it's not, <laughs> just walk around with no pants. Yeah, no, no, that's not that's not me. You gonna do my shorts in the winter? Up. No, I, I bundle up to the. You're max. gonna become that guy. What? The white guy in the winter who wears shorts? No, yeah, I need to like grow a ponytail first. <laughs> <laughs> so, so pants update. Pants 2019. Update, yeah. Huge, huge news. Can that become a hashtag? What pants update? Pants update. Traveling pants. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I, yeah. The brotherhood of the traveling pants. <laughs> Do you have any? Well, you can't. I can't fit in your jeans. No, wait. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't join in this mission. No, I'm taller and, and skinnier than both you and Dan. You and Dan are like the same size. You guys can share things. This I is true. I can't share anything. So I'm the freak of the family. If you guys, mm-hmm. you sound like Conan. <laughs> if you guys out there know of a good pants connect. Mm. Yeah, that pants plug. <laughs> like. <laughs> Isn't pants plug like sewing? <laughs> That's like an AK. Does anybody have a seamstress that I can use? Let Jeff know. Yeah. You should put this in the newsletter. This actually, is what the people need. This is the information that you guys need. Actually, it sort of is because remember when I went on Twitter and I was like, hey, uh, everybody out there, we need our TV hung up. Yeah. Somebody just do it for us. Bring a stud finder. Yeah. You know, bring, bring, a, a, bring a drill. Right. And hang up our TV. We have the TV. Yeah. We have the mount. And some guy... You do the work. And when I say some guy, I really do mean... Skip from BK. Skip from BK, who was listening to every episode of ours. Shout out to him. Was like, hey, idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't put this on Twitter. Right. Get a professional. Do TaskRabbit. Do TaskRabbit. Or whatever, like a like yeah, a less it, professional. Yeah, we're not sponsored by TaskRabbit, so... Right. But get but, like but Job Horse or whatever. Right, right. And so uh, I went on JobHorse.com, mm-hmm. and we got a guy, and first of all, I said I'd never used... Wouldn't it be Hobby Horse? I've, oh, that's so good. Right. Damn it. Yeah. Anyway, so you go you go on Job Horse. 
Jobports.com. Jobports.com makes it sound like <laughs> I've never spoken English in my life. All right. <laughs> job horse? Jobhorse.com. <laughs> net. So the guy yeah. comes over here. He does the job. Sort of. And, mostly. Right. And he says, don't hang on the TV and, and well, whatever. Also, he, there were two things he had to bring over. He only brought over one. Do you think you can task rabbit a, a, a seamstress? Hobby horse? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's possible? Well, I'm, I'm at, probably. All right. Yeah. So anyway. That's something I'm interested in. Hobbyhorse.com? Yes. We're starting an app, guys. <laughs> and on the subject of, of groupthink, mm. I uh, listen, we moved apartments. The last apartment we lived for 11 and a half years. We got to know our doorman very well. If we went downstairs to take a picture and the person who had come through did not have a friend or an associate who also came with them. Right. We could always ask one of our doormen who was always doing his job <laughs> if they could leave their job and then take a picture on our phone. So... <laughs> In moving, we've lost that, and we're not going to travel five blocks to the other place. Oh, that would actually be a really good idea. <laughs> to get Leo well, because to people, take a picture. Yeah, people do love the old archway that we used to take pictures in. Which has no meaning to me. No. And has no meaning to you. No, I mean, like... Are we just going to parade five blocks with John Legend? <laughs> first of all, that's a great idea. But, Imagine if we were just walking up Amsterdam. But unlikely. So mm-hmm. what we're going to do, what I'd like to do, mm-hmm. what I want to do... Is get something for free. If anybody out there has the <laughs> hookup on a ring light uh-huh. on a stand, uh-huh. like a, like one of those you know five-foot, six-foot stands mm-hmm. that we could tuck away somewhere and pull it out every time that we have to do a podcast, plug the iPhone in and, and take a picture that's well lit, mm-hmm. well, let us know. <laughs> Hey, guys. No, for real. We're on the lookout for, for one of those ring lights. We want to know the best one, and we want to know if anyone wants to donate it to us so that we can promote your ring light or your friend's ring light or whatever it is. Well, it is one of those things because we did see that our friend Raven yeah. was just like, hey, I want to buy a coffee machine, a coffee ma- a coffee maker, and then uh, Lipton or whoever, Nestle or whatever, <laughs> whatever company it was. I don't know. Hobby Horse. Uh-huh. They send it to her for free. She was right. like, I'm, I'm going to buy it. She was looking to buy it. Yeah. And they said, hey, we'll give it to you for free. Well, maybe we should be like, hey, we want to buy a ring light. All right. Ready? Yeah. I want to buy a ring light. Yep. And then now we get it for free. Right. Okay, good. Great. Okay. So let us know in the comments or or hit us up, email us or message us, get in touch with us, and let's go about doing that. Um, before we get into this episode, I do want to shout out some friends of ours for uh, various reasons. I want to send Good energy and love to all three of these people. Very different reasons, but let's get into it. First of all, uh, Freeway. Freeway. Friend of the room. Uh, You guys know him from State Property and his own solo catalog and Rockefeller and just an amazing and wonderful light in this business. Freeway, who for the longest time has been looking for a kidney transplant. He's been on dialysis. He's been uh, fighting through a lot of health issues but was good enough to come on the podcast twice. He rode up to our show at SOBs. Yeah, to perform on stage with us, which was just uh, mind-blowing. So we couldn't be happier that he made it through the surgery. He is on the road to recovery. Big shout-out to Freeway. Absolutely. Secondly, I want to send all of our love and great energy and hope you guys will too to another friend of the room, Carly Hustle. Yes, Carly has also been on the podcast. Yes. Uh, Carly was recently diagnosed with breast cancer, which yeah. she's been talking about on her own podcast, Brutally Honest. She discovered it in uh, stage two. Yeah, right before so, Christmas. So uh, on the earlier end, but uh, it doesn't make it um, any easier. So she has 
a fantastic attitude as she goes into this. She has uh, shaved her head. She has continued to podcast. She has great humor and great perspective as yeah. as, as much well, as anybody can. She's one of those people who says, you know, when, when people say fuck cancer, she's like, fuck, fuck cancer. Like yeah. she she has a. You know, if any if anybody wants to listen to her latest episode of her please podcast, please do. Please do. It's it's it's, I, it's it's just a really important listen. It's but a it's also very her, very very Carly perspective, and we're all rooting her on and rooting her through this, and we are going to be uh, with her every step of the way, all the way to recovery. So shout out to our great friend Carly Hustle, and uh, lastly, we want to shout out another friend to the room. Wow, so many friends of our room. Rory Farrell, been here. Yeah. who is uh, very famous now for the Joe Budden podcast with Rory and Maul, he being Rory. Rory. He's the white guy. But at the Rock Nation brunch out there in Los Angeles during Grammy weekend, he did the wonderful and beautiful deed of proposing to his girlfriend, Sam. And after she was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, mm-hmm. oh, shit, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. You're serious, oh shit. Mm-hmm. She said yes. So uh, <laughs> congratulations to both of them. Congratulations to his fur-lined loafers. <laughs> Just sincere congratulations to a very, very awesome couple. Um, and just, you know, it's beautiful that they chose to spend the rest of their lives together. And uh, we were just really looking forward to what he has to say on the Joe Budden podcast. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting Sam on our podcast. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that's what we need to do. We've gone yeah. through all the Joe Budden guys. Yeah. Now we need to get into the Rory girls. Jeff, <laughs> today on the podcast. Today on the podcast, we have our good friend, Jeff Weiss. Yeah, a lot of people out there know him from the music website, Passion of the Weiss. He's the Weiss in that part. He is, P-O-W. And some of you may know him from leading the boycott of LA Weekly, the the longtime alt paper out there in Los Angeles, which went through an ownership change and was not about Los Angeles or Angelinos or anything having to do with the culture of LA. And Jeff Weiss has been at the heart of creating an alternative to the alternative. Yeah, he's leading the revolution. It's called He's the one that's there with like the <laughs> the pitchforks. The pitchforks in hand. He is uh behind this this new magazine called The Land Magazine and it's a capital L A for mm-hmm. Los Angeles. For Rory. And if you go to the landmag.com, you can go check out their first issue. You can request an issue which you can get for free. And you can also make donations and be part of this really dope and progressive and culturally important piece of art, which is also a publication. TheLandMag.com is where you can go, and you'll hear Jeff talk all about it today, as well as his come up, his roots in California, what L.A. means to him, finding Kendrick on the early end, finding O3 Greedo on the early end, interviewing Snoop. On the eve of his getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Interviewing Boozy. There's so much good conversation in this episode, and you guys are really going to love it. Jeff, when you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. The White House Plumbers, a.k.a. Rich Gang. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Gang Gang, Gang Bang, a.k.a. Jesus and Marrow, and Ginger and Scary and uh, Sporty and Baby (laughs) and Pop. I am Hannibal Moncrief. <laughs> yes. I'm the Los Feliz Moncrief. <laughs> this is your third favorite podcast to waste time with It's The Real. 
Jeff, what's happening? Let's go, guys. Everything is good. Thanks for having us over your crib. Well, my pleasure. I'm glad to. Uh, not, to not the Upper West Side, but no. yeah, we, it's <laughs> it, this one is, day. Yeah. This is like the Upper East Side of Los Angeles, geographically. Not yeah. even like yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. I'm not like walking like an a Los Opso though. No, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> One of the things when we last saw you down at South By that we were excited about was your boycott of the new LA yeah, Weekly. Yeah. It's been taken over by these horrible people and it is a shell of what it used to be. And I just peeked in the corner and I see there's a framed cover of an old LA Weekly there. It's true, yeah. Is that weird for you to have that there and know that it's like not the same thing anymore? It was really hard for the first six months. And now it's just so bad. It's kind of like morphed into comedy. And it was like why we kind of, I think, wanted to do The Land. Because, I don't know, at a certain point, you can't really like, comp- like, you know, it's like I think about like like backpack rap, right? Like, it was really great at the beginning because you're like, okay, even though I liked like the Jiggy era or whatever, like, it was nice to have an alternative to it, like, you know, different sides of the coin, blah, blah, blah. But at a, at a certain point, I think something becomes like a regressive kind of art form. Like you can't always be like in opposed to something it, like you harden into conservatism. So I think for us, it was like, OK, well, the boycott was super important and effective. I mean, we basically I don't know for people that don't know. Should I like basically break yeah. down the story? Mm-hmm, of what please, happened? Yeah. OK, so the, the short story is Nazis bad. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. Wow. Way to really like, you yeah. know, short story. <laughs> yeah. I'd written for the LA Weekly for 10 years. I'd been a columnist in the print magazine for, for the last six, you know? Like The Voice, it, it was kind of the the standard bearer of like progressive liberal journalism politics in Los Angeles, founded in 78, you know, in the wake of obviously The Voice and kind of came out of the underground paper tradition that really doesn't like, I feel blogs kind of had that for a while, but there's really nothing that kind of, I don't know, like I'm like a real print junkie, right? So. I don't know how familiar you guys are with like the underground papers in the 60s, but like they were like really flourishing. They were everywhere. Like every city had a bunch of underground papers, like weird subversive, like the crumb comics came out of that tradition. Yeah. Like obviously LA Weekly, Matt Groening's Life is Hell strip started there, obviously became the Simpsons. Simpsons yeah. It was everything from that Jonathan Gold, who honestly changed how people think about food, especially in Los Angeles, but probably yeah. in the whole world. Sure. And he had a big uh, legendary NWA story. And like the same month that the source did like California rap hits nationwide, like Jonathan Gold did like this definitive NWA cover, you know, it leading up to like, even when I was there, there was a woman named Christine Pelisek who like, there was a serial killer in LA called the Grim Sleeper that was like terrorizing women in South Central. And her reporting was like really the thing that kind of like cracked the case open and apprehended the man so it had like this really long venerable tradition it had been bought in about 2007 by newspaper people who um like a mostly male conglomerate based out of phoenix and they used to run uh the new times chain yep they were a bunch of libertarian kind of dickhead assholes that had a terrible philosophy but at the end of the day they're newspaper people and i'll take like somebody that knows the newspapers who might just be a miserly vulture capitalist (laughs) over people that are basically Republican operatives. So what happened was this paper had been on the block instead of honestly what it sold for was like it was low one million. Like you you can't find a condo in some parts of L.A. for for the amount that it sold for. I mean, certainly not in New York. And if they had gone to the writers and like, you know, really had like a community effort, I, I guarantee that someone could have picked it up and really, you know, ensured that it stayed kind of this this jewel of the city. Instead, it just uh, they sold it to basically the worst people on earth. Like the leader was the guy who ran something called the Claremont Institute for a while, which was New York Review of Books called Trump's Brains. Like their whole like mission statement was like to infiltrate progressivism, you know, whatever they perceive that to be, and like basically fuck shit up for liberals more or less. And so they bought it, immediately fired almost the entirety of the staff. They fired every single editor looking for free contributors. They misspelled Angelinos. They're like, LA's not a real cultural capital like New York or San Francisco. They're like, we're trying to make it a cult, you know, just like crazy ass shit. And we're like, what are you talking about? 
about. Like, right. And you know, they were all from Orange County too, yeah. which, you know, I don't know if you guys have spent any times in Orange in Orange County. No, but I, yeah. I listened to No Doubt when I was in uh, <laughs> yeah. middle school. And you got everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you, if you listen to enough Sublime, like, yeah. you get like, the gist of it, you know, even though the Long Beach, but it's like, you know, it's like adjacent. But and, you uh, have this framed copy and... My grandma actually gave that to me. Was, is that right? Uh, yeah. My, it, was, uh, well, it, was, it was the first big story I did. It was like, I think it was 08 or 09 and it was on the Jerkin movement. So that's what that is. So do you look at it now and think like, oh, those were good times or do you look at it now and think just of the gutted building and 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 soul that has you know sort of are we ruining your apartment (laughs) (laughs) i'll never look at that frame thing again eric what is wrong with you (laughs) this podcast is over (laughs) like a viral youtube clip jeff weiss walks out of it's the real podcast i'm in his own home (laughs) yeah i'm done you know how dare you ask me about my framed LA, LA Weekly? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, just, I just bought this print of Kanye and Jay-Z. And, and the yeah, picture right, yeah. means a lot to me, yeah. right? It's done by Clay Patrick McBride. It was yeah. in that double XL issue where Jay was on the cover uh, in the Oval Office, right? As president of Def Jam. Totally. And he and, and Kanye are situated like JFK and RFK. And it's just a beautiful image. Yeah. I bought a print of it. I want to hang it in our new apartment. And I really did have this conflict inside of me where I was just like, well, is that me wishing for old Kanye? Yeah. And when I look at this, am I going to feel like, oh, no, like MAGA hat and just this sort of empty head? Or is it just like that was a time and that was a place and and I want to remember that? Yeah, I I think that's what it's become. At first, it was like really difficult. When I would see like an L.A. Weekly around town, like it would be kind of one of those things where it's like almost like. You know, like sort of like when you have a breakup or something and then like everything reminds you of your ex. Yeah. You know, like I'm like, oh, you know, I see that artist. I'm like, oh, I remember doing that interview for LA Weekly or this. And, you know, like I did stuff for The Times. I did stuff for a bunch of other places. The LA Weekly always has a sentimentality to me because that was really the like my, like the first time I ever really got like notoriety for my writing was like the second piece I ever wrote really like professionally. Which and was? It was on uh, Soldier Boy. It was when Soldier Boy had first broke and uh, it like got in the best American music writing. And I was like really young. And I just like, that to me was like, I was like, oh, you can do this. For, you know, I don't know about for a living. Cause I don't know if that, what that means anymore, but, <laughs> but like you are good enough where like people like Nelson George picked it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, the guy, you know, like I know he's the a hip hop legend. The one? Totally. But I was like, actually, I was like, who wrote CB4? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, no, actually he's a pioneering hip hop journalist. I'm like, yeah, I know. But he wrote CB4. I'm like, and honestly, and CB4 to me was like, that was the best journalism where I'm like, oh, I just want to be, you know, chasing Gusto around. And yeah. Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. Code. yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So it was like, that was the second piece I ever wrote was on Soldier Boy, like, wow. you know, as a it was like getting paid and the first piece would like started a conflict or well, they started a feud a brief online feud with the band deer hunter so it was really up to a re- what yeah it was like it was like very 2007 like long story but i basically made a bill and ted's excellent adventure joke that they did not find they did not cotton to <laughs> who do you have a bigger feud with deer hunter or Post Malone. Me and Post. Well, we both we swatched it now. Both both me and Post Malone and and Deer Hunter. I mean, I haven't talked to Deer Hunter in like <laughs> a long time, but we made each other mixtapes. Wow. I'd like to think that I exposed UGK to. Are uh, you the dating Deer Hunter? Deer Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> it's the real um, breaking out of that sort of drive to bring awareness to what LA yeah. Weekly is in 2018, 2019. Yeah. You've created a, a great alternative so to speak thanks yeah in your own project and that's the land thanks yeah so basically what happened was 
we kept on having these meetings, right? And the first thing was, okay, we have to let people know what is going on. Because what happened in the LA Weekly, and I think this is like really important, is what was happening in everyone else's backyard. And in LA, it was particularly dire because the LA Times was basically getting looted, looted and gutted by a bunch of vulture capitals from Chicago. Tooted and booted. They were, they were. one might say they were tooted and booted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what was the name of the conglomerate? They changed their name, right? Tronk, they became. Tronk. Tronk. And the guy, Michael Farrow. So they were actually a profitable company, but this guy, Michael Farrow, was a total crook. And he had a contract where at the beginning of every year, and I think he still got paid this year, he got a $5 million balloon payment on January 1st before the year, like in advance of the consulting that he was going to do for Jesus. the year. You know what I mean? And they're laying off journalists and this asshole is taking $5 million. And, you know, my friend, my friend Tall um, from Chicago, he's writer and editor in Chicago, and he was like, wait, this Michael Farrow guy is bad news. And it was as bad as anyone could have expected. LAist got bought by a guy named Joe Ricketts, mm-hmm. yeah. who owned Gothamist and he owned that whole network. And they like unionized and he's just like, fuck this, pulled the plug, deleted their archives. So they eventually restored it and ended up getting you know, bought by, bought, someone bought it and gave it to the lo- one of the local NPRs here. So it, it came back in and, uh, and then the weekly happened. So here, but also look what happened with alternative weeklies was happening in, you know, Atlanta's creative loafing is a shell of its former self. The Houston press in Houston is a shell of its former self. The village voice obviously gone. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that, that's insane, right? Like what? I don't know, like the archives never really made it in, in earnest. You know, a lot of these publications they never have. I mean, LA Weekly's archives don't go back more than 15 years. How much journalism and knowledge are we, are we losing? And that's how we like define and understand our city. And like, it, it does feel a little Orwellian, right? Because like, there are no histories, you know, and there are, obviously you can buy a bunch of books on it, but you know, and like we're talking about with the source, like that stuff is not online. That's like vital knowledge that people need to kind of have and preserve. And otherwise we're just going to be like, we're going to think that, you know, what happens today is the only time it ever happens. So anyways, basically we kept on having these meetings about the boycott. And we shut down a few of their events because they their whole thing was like they, they were trying to basically monetize off food events, like the legalized weed business that came in here. And we had to kind of like educate people and be like, look, this is a fucking grift. And like, obviously, you could see with the Trump administration, I mean, there's like a nationwide epidemic. And at one of these meetings, it just became evident where we're like, well, it started like, OK, LA Weekly did a people's issue every year. So like, let's do a people's issue for the people that we really think reflect like the true character and like spirit of the city. And then it became uh fuck well why don't we just do like a real issue and then <laughs> it's like does anyone know how to like make a magazine <laughs> like a couple people kind of knew how to make a magazine and uh like the cool thing about the boycott was you know we were talking a little about this a little before but like often you know it, it's like corny to say out loud but often like some of the the darkest experiences of your life can can bring you to kind of unlikely allies and people that you might not have known before and it kind of instilled like a fostered a kind of sense of community among LA journalists, at least in my like little corner of, you know, of it. And uh, I met a lot, like a lot of the people that I'm working with at the land, we'd only known each other like via Twitter or like mm. maybe I'd met them once like an LA weekly party, like and talked for like 10 minutes, you know, and they're like all like really dedicated and talented people. And like, you know, people like a lot of writers, like uh, Molly Lambert wrote a great piece on like the mariachis and the rent strike in, in Boyle Heights that a lot of people own mariachi plaza that a lot of people don't know about uh, Caleb Horton from uh, he was an MTV News great writer. He did a piece on like the last pioneer chickens, and uh, you know, and there's some like all the writers that at P- like a lot of the writers from POW that lived in LA contributed pieces, and you know, I have a couple story. I did a big Roy Choi interview, like a ten thousand word you know piece. We have uh, a story on like this racist LAPD conspiracy against uh, Malina Abdullah, who's a local leader of Black Lives Matter, and that was reported by a guy named Jason McGahan, who was a former staffer at the LA Weekly, mm-hmm. and. You know, like, I don't know. I think we've seen kind of the ramifications of what happens when, like, you don't have strong 
local journalism. I mean, it just allows like developers and, and, and promoters and schemers to kind of just flourish, you know? So I'm not to say that like, you know, it's just the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know. I, I do think there is a need for like an alternative press. Like, I mean, the daily can't like, you know, the New York times is great. The Washington post is great. The LA times is great. It's they're vital for democracy, but that's like not the only thing. There's certain things you like, I can't make like Drake jokes about, you know, the mayor and the LA right. times, you know, right. what does Los Angeles mean to you? It's like the oxygen I breathe. Like we were doing things for the land, you know, like a capsule bio and like, you know, like all the capsule bios, you're like, have like some glib line about Los Angeles at the end. And, Oh my God, which glib line do I pick? You know, it's like my grandma went to like Fairfax High with like Herb Alpert, you know, like, and, and she's like, he's lying about his age. He's older. He's 93. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, she's like, he's very handsome. You know, it's like stuff like that. Or like my grandma would, I mean, like my like great grandfather like bought the spot that was like, he bought the Hollywood Hotel for like a year, which is like the, on the Hollywood Highland where the Oscars are and like where the Kodak Theater is. And like, mm -hmm sold it at a loss and like that's like why i'm doing this other than like on a yacht somewhere where i'm like god damn it great grandfather <laughs> um like haunting me in my dreams yeah. like, don't talk about me on podcast you <laughs> fucking ungrateful bastard you know like just like weird you know like shit like that so i mean like i don't know it like it's like going to like lakers games when i was like a little kid or like you know um like power 106 when i was like 10 years old and like the chronic you know it's like you're hearing nothing but a g thing for the first time and like you know we talked about like kind of hip-hop being our first language but like being from la to me was like my first language and obviously there's a ton of transplants but how did your grandparents get out here uh on my on my mom's side i have no idea what brought them i must have been like i think like my grandfather lost a ton of money in the depression and like came out here and like started fresh and like he they lived in chicago and then my dad's side it was like kind of the 50s kind of i think california dream and then like they moved out to they like like they moved in basically what was south central and it was like kind of a changing neighborhood and so like that's where my dad went to junior high school and like you know and then um yeah and then i'm here and i thought about leaving when i was young you know i was like kind of wanted to go to new york or san francisco and then both cities just became so expensive. I had no. I was well, like, what did you want to do in either of those cities? Like, I mean, like you know, you're growing around, up around, you know, uh, a cultural hub in Los Angeles. And uh, what were you seeking out in like a San Francisco or New York? San Francisco, I probably was chasing the dream of the beach generation. Like 50 years later, like I'm like kind of like a sentimental person at heart. So I always like I did like my most personal story, at least to me. Like I mean, I've written things that are probably more like personally revealing, but was about uh, the beat generation, like for the Washington Post, it did like two years ago. And like my editor, uh, David Malice, is amazing. And it was just like, yeah, you can write 12,000 words about the beat generation. I was, you know what I mean? It was like, I was like, I think it'll be seven, like in like 12,000 words. And he's like, we'll figure out how to put it in. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, those are, you know. How much like, heroin did you have to do for the piece? <laughs> <laughs> Less than you'd think, but more than I would have liked. <laughs> you know, so needless to say, uh, my veins are done. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but it's cool because like in San Francisco, like that, I mean, it was kind of, you know, going up there and reporting it, it's like that's the tragedy of the Bay is, I mean, one of the most, I think, like culturally rich places in the world probably ever. And, you know, I was going to these, you know, nonagenarian, octogenarians apartments and then like, you know, you can just tell like, you know, one of them is like, my landlord's just waiting for me to die. They're going to get 5000 a month for this place, you know, yeah. and they're just like these like treasure troves of history and like books and knowledge and i just really wanted to kind of i mean that was kind of what made me want to write was was the beats i mean like i had my own thing but that was the first like literature kind of thing where i was like oh like you can do that you know and um well did any, who was the first person that told you you were a good writer like even when you were like growing up uh 
I don't know. Honestly, I wasn't, I, I didn't think I'd ever be a writer. I just was like a compulsive reader. And I never really did. I didn't, I, I always thought that I could write kind of like, I don't know it's like I always like would, would interview rappers and they'd be like I don't know I always thought I could rap and then one day even like most of the time it's not like that's true you know unless like blue it's like something like blue face basically yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I just started yeah, rapping yeah. 12 months ago <laughs> <laughs> like no but like you know and then I got then I didn't think that it was possible to be a writer you know because my dad's like a like a very like no nonsense like lawyer and he's like mm. you are going to go to law school and I was like a baseball player so I thought like I played baseball and basketball and like I played baseball in college and I thought like oh I'll just Wait, like you did all these sports and you're Jewish <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I once upon a time could dunk I dunked like six months ago and I was like that's it yeah <laughs> that's it's never happening but it was like one of those things where I felt like like rookie of the year where yeah. I'm like oh, yeah. like, yeah. like there's must be magic today and, you know and uh yeah, it'll never happen again but like luckily uh, my friend Martin Douglas is a writer like saw it happen and I was like, tell the internet, <laughs> tell the internet. <laughs> so you're a voracious reader. Did you did you read um, Susan Orlean's book, the library book recently? Uh, oh, no, it's it good? amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. about the the fire. Well, ostensibly about the fire that burned down the L.A. library. And, right, right. Heard, I've heard about but it. But it's, it's so really much good. more than that. It's about librarians. It's about libraries. It's about authors. It's about those who use the library for shelter, yeah. those who use it for classes. Uh, it's It's really like a much bigger story about like like modern culture that's cool um and it's it's just an amazing read and should you have the chance to that's cool no i, I like I, I lived in libraries that was like my that was my thing like every you know i would go i'd either be like playing sports or like they would drop my parents would drop me off at the library like my mom would drop me off and like for eight hours later and like you know they'd have like a war and i would like must have been like obsessive compulsive which i probably still am in some degree but you know i'd be like i must have the most books read and like you know you get like these bookmobiles and yeah, put yeah. up and you know at the library like my elementary school like there was this really cool librarian and she would just like let me check out like 10 books at a time where other kids would get two or three and like i must have like mowed down. i was like really into sports books and stuff and like matt christopher, matt christopher. Yeah. yeah oh Mac, yeah i i try i wanted to write a profile and he's dead like i was like i was like he's got <laughs> oh but like I mean, yeah you oh, yeah, still I was write, like, like a dead profile <laughs> totally no yeah. Be, yeah like who is like the the, 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 the secret inner <laughs> life of matt yeah. christopher <laughs> like you maybe don't want to know though it's, it turns out matt christopher was a pedophile <laughs> you're like oh no like that's a real blood on my hands to discover that you know it's like not for the worst time it's like michael jackson right you're like Ugh. i mean we've known that for a while but sure. i mean that was for me for music I, my, my family was like might as well have been like an amish house they were like i mean there were books but only the books that i would be like can you get me books and there were like no movies. There, I mean, I you were no. I mean, I, yeah, totally. There were yeah, there were no uh, and no music. So like my house, like my parents, like just so like I had one album and it was Michael Jackson Thriller and it was like on vinyl and that was the only thing I had until wow. like Bad came out and then I was like okay I need Bad now and then uh, that was it. So Michael Jackson to me was like literally like my like total sum of like what music was, which I mean in hindsight was like pretty good. Like if so you have like one album, it, nine, nine songs or something like that. Yeah, like it's a short album, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. Uh, that's the only nine songs that you had in your life until <laughs> I was about like eight years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And but that like could have been like any like it could have been like. You could have been listening to like NXS for you know a decade or whatever. Yeah, I, that was why well, I got my hair. It's yeah, like, everything yeah, is yeah. about Michael Hutchins. All right, yeah. yeah, like all right, I said that. Like, I think I heard like NXS was in. I was like, actually, NXS kind of slaps <laughs> in hindsight. It's well, not reevaluate. Yeah. So baseball was super important to you. Yeah, I love that. Was like big Dodgers favorite. fan. Uh, no, actually, it's I, I I don't talk about it publicly because I don't want to insult. Like, but I actually hate the Dodgers. Why? Oh, because my dad is a is a I love him, but he's like kind of a like a contrarian is the best way I can okay put it. Yeah. yeah so my dad 
which is like insane. This is a horrible thing to say out loud. Like it's like, but he like likes like the San Francisco Giants, who are a good franchise. I like the Giants, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he liked the Boston Celtics in the eighties. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, and yeah, I yeah, I'm like, yeah. what possess? And I, I was always a Lakers fan. Like, yeah. I mean, like my my dad, like I have no idea why, but like. We never like would go to. We didn't go to games that much, you yeah, know, because yeah. it was like a, a fortune. But back when they played at the forum, and for like some reason, maybe he had a friend or something that like gave him a discount. But we like got like I must have been five or six years old, was, like right at the height of Showtime, you know. And we were had these amazing seats. I've never had such good seats other than like when I was coming up for press. And so I was just like the Lakers. I'm like Magic Johnson, like James Worthy. And then like I took went to the Magic Johnson basketball camp when I was like ten. And Magic Johnson yelled at me. What? And I was like, well, I probably deserved it. Kind of a jerky. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like one of those moments. Where I'm like, oh, Michael Jackson, Magic Johnson's yelling at you. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what did he yell at you? Well, for? It was like picture day, right? So like poor Magic. In hindsight, like poor Magic Johnson, like has to like deal with like 500 smiling idiot children, right? And, like, and like put like smile and like, like <laughs> you know take a knee and like oh, God. That must be horrible, but like it was like, and you were like, my dad likes the Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, actually, Robert Parrish can kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, and um, and now he owns the Dodgers, and you hate the Dodgers. Yeah, I get it; yeah. it makes no, sense. I'm yeah. a Cincinnati Reds fan, though. Actually, what? I, yeah, how in the world? That was my T-ball team. So oh, I, right. I, I was like, uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. It was my T-ball team. Eric Davis was like my favorite player. Wow. Yeah, but you weren't on the Cincinnati Reds. You were just like on the L.A. Reds or I wasn't something. A bright child, Jeff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I didn't know. My dad's name is Walt Weiss. So like for when I for a, a six months, you, you thought, thought he played dad shortstop. Was, yeah. I was like, okay, that makes sense. That's why you're good at baseball, <laughs> yeah. your dad. But like I was like, oh, maybe I don't know. Like I don't know. That's why you're already. on the road a lot. Yeah, like, you yeah. really yeah. were dumb. Yeah. 80, 81 That's my dad never comes home. Yeah, yeah. It's like no. My dad looks different on TV. Yeah, I was like, okay, all right, yeah, uh, it was uh, it was very odd, and I was like, congratulations on winning Rick of the Year, <laughs> and uh, the Magic Johnson story, basically, it was like some dumb picture day thing, and like, you're just like walking around the back and of course like I was like a dumb lefty and like I walked right in front of the picture and Matt Johnson's like what are you doing kid <laughs> I'm like oh no I know, yeah. <laughs> your hero is kid hates you <laughs> which was wise on his part yeah. yeah you end up you know a Cincinnati Reds fan yeah um Eric Davis though ended up playing for the Dodgers didn't he like, he did yeah which was hard yeah no it was like it was I, you know I and now I kind of have more of a. It's, I can't. I can't root for the Dodgers. It's really difficult. Like, it, I don't. I don't want to root against them because, mm-hmm. like, so many people like in LA like love the Dodgers. So many people like I love love the Dodgers. But it's like I think I've been brainwashed. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like, and you're trying to fight this lock in your brain. But I can't just like like the Dodgers. Like it was really hard when they played Boston, though. Yeah, because that was just like I like. Uh, how do I root? For right. Them? Like, this is just you know. It's like I don't know Boston. Like, <laughs> no offense, but yeah, but some offense. Can't, 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 like, offense. But honestly, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, you, No cap, but some cap. A modest amount of cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Do you end up going to college? Yeah, I went to Occidental College, uh, like out here, mm-hmm. uh, which was like now famous because Barack went there. But yeah, I, 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 I thought about. Did you just call him Barack? Barack, yeah, Barack Obama. Yeah. No, I know, I know who Barack. Barack have you heard of him? Yeah, it just yeah. feels like you know, I never. He's hear my best on- friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just name dropping casually. Yeah. yeah, me and me and Big B. I know. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, uh, you guys smoked weed together. Yeah, yeah. we do. We oh, did. Barry? Yeah, yeah. I, I gave him that that straw hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Just, he looked better in it. Than I did. Uh, what made you want to go to Occidental? They, you know, they were like, I, I wanted to play baseball in college, and I, I thought I would 
go there and transfer like a D1 after two years. Cause like, you're younger than most of the kids my age. And like, I was young for my grade. And I, I thought like, okay, well you go to a small school, you start as a freshman and transfer to either junior college after your freshman year. And I almost did, but I just like, was like, eh. What position? I was a first baseman and a pitcher. Mm-hmm. So I was a lefty. You're lefty. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I like always had arm problems, but I, I was a starting pitcher my sophomore year. And I was like, I started all, I, I started all three years and we ended up having a walkout uh my junior year because like obviously like sedition is in my blood so like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like you know what i mean like god just, but it was like we ended up having this team walk out um it was like a pretty crazy experience like a guy on my baseball team died in a hazing accident jesus he was in a fraternity and i had pledged the, i didn't know what a fraternity was like i i literally had no fucking clue i was like oh yeah it's like i thought it was like an elks club or something not like this sadomasochistic like bro yeah, know, elephant walking. Yeah. Totally. Like, yeah. And I showed up. I was like, what the fuck? You know, I, but I pledged because all these guys were my baseball team. And then I de-pledged before I became active. But I went through most of, like, the hazing. that I, I, I ditched a lot of the hazing. But, like, smart. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I did, People yeah. love yeah. to just do the hazing and then not get yeah. any of the yeah, yeah, actual yeah, yeah. Yeah. rewards of it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There were no rewards, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. It was. They were just. Cra- so they ended up basically. I, de- I, I tried to get all these kids not to do it, but they ended up doing it anyways because, like, you know, you kind of have to experience it for yourself. And uh, tragically, my junior year, a guy on my baseball team, uh, who's a, this really brilliant, like, uh, baseball player, like, freshman, pitched, played short. It's about to be, like, a starting shortstop. And, you know, our backup left fielder, also a freshman, fell asleep at the wheel coming home from Vegas. The car, uh, He died. One of my oh friends my like, got, like, brain damage, was, like, in the hospital for, like, eight months. Another guy was paralyzed for a year. Like, and, you know, this, obviously, this kid, Greg, Greg Davis, died. And, hmm. and then that kind of kind of started me on my path to writing because I kind of dabbled with it. And I, I basically started, after that, like, it, I, we had a walk out of the baseball team, like, a month later. And it, kind of the void in my life that baseball had always, you know, it was immediately occupied by writing. And I started, like, working on a book that summer about it. And it was one of those things I worked on for, like, four years, finished it, like, and I put it in a drawer. And it sort of, at some point, maybe, like, I would love to, like, publish it just because, you know. It's still in the drawer. It's Yeah, it's in, it's in the drawer of there. It's, I mean, it's, it's like a young adult book. Like, I didn't know that, like, you know, when you're writing a book when you're, like, 21 years old, like, you probably only are going to write adult, young adult fiction. Sure, yeah. yeah. And I just, like, you know, I, I had, like, bigger literary aspirations, so I didn't want to, like, write a YA book. Uh, in hindsight, like, I probably should have just, like, been, like, okay with being a YA book, but I was kind of... Still, probably, I'm a little insufferable sometimes, but I was definitely like very insufferable then. So you have a book that's like unfinished, but like, where else do you channel writing from there? That was the thing. I like got out of school and like I worked odd jobs for a couple of years and like tried to doing figure what? it out. I, I mean, my first year out of school, I was like tutoring at this place called the Sylvan Learning Center. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I was I was writing papers for this woman that like was trying to get a master's at Cal State LA. I, like, ghostwriting her papers. I was like grading papers for my like cousin's. Uh, <laughs> it's funny for like my cousins at high school. So like I got a job randomly. He went to Miracosta High School in the South Bay and uh, like they would just give me my cousin's pay. like they're like, OK, you're going to grade papers for the district, which is also an insane thing that you're like, <laughs> they didn't know me. They're just like, oh, you're just some random college kid. Like, just you want to grade papers like that you don't know anything about? Like, that's horrible. Like, what is it? And they would give me my cousin's papers. <laughs> So like I would just give my cousin straight A's, <laughs> like, but like he'd be like really sloppy and like write him notes, like you know, it's yeah. very weird. I was doing that, and then um, I ended up getting a job at, like a, as a business reporter for like a year, uh, a year and a half, which kind of like taught me how to be like a real reporter. And yeah, where was that? It was in the valley. It was like Woodland Hills. Like so, I would like that was kind of what I, I. I feel it's important to have like a day job at some point to just like know that you're not capable of it. I mean, I'd have to wear a suit and tie, and like I was, I must be like 22 or 23 at the time. And I wanted to kill myself. Like, I would just, you know, I mean, it was... Business it, reporting was not your passion? <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, in hindsight, it was really valuable for me. I remember uh, my editors would be like... I, I would ask them, 
how do I transcribe an interview over the phone? And they're like, you don't, you type really fast. So I just learned to type really fast. So I just now like type all my interviews on the phone. I've never, no one's ever You don't, you don't use your recorder? I mean, I do when I do it in person, but yeah, over the phone, I just type it. And like stuff like that, or, you know, just like little things where I'll never forget this one woman who like, we were like, it was a really belligerent relationship. She's like significantly older and she probably thought I was like just a cocky idiot kid, which I was. <laughs> and she would be like, well, what do you do in an interview when someone's dodging your question? And I was like, I don't know. She's like, you just keep on asking in different ways until they eventually, ask. you know what I mean? It's like stuff like that where I'm like, oh, that that's a good thing. And then basically I was reading all these blogs, you know, and around 05, I started Fashion the Weiss and that was, initially it was just sort of like, uh, it was like a knockoff of like, I, I, do you guys ever read like the Blag blog? Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, Alex like, Blagg. Yeah, yeah, Alex yeah. Blagg. Yeah, I thought like Alex Blagg was, I mean, he is hilarious and yeah. I like, mm -hmm. I loved that blog and I thought it was so funny. So I'd write these like horrible imitation knockoffs of it. And like then, I was like going to a bunch of concerts at the time and obviously like hip hop was like my first musical love. Like I didn't even know anything but hip hop really existed other than like The Doors right. and like Jimi Hendrix until I was like 23. <laughs> and it was just like straight rap, you know? And, uh, and even then, it was like only like I had a breakup that I was like, I was like, uh, I guess Bob Dylan makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, wow. it's like, wow, Spanish boots of Spanish leather. <laughs> like, you're really healing my soul, Bob. And uh, yeah. also a friend, close friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Bob and Bob. Bob and yeah. Brock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hanging out on the links all day. And just <laughs> <laughs> Did you start on like Blogspot or something? Yeah, it was a Blogspot. Yeah. And I, again, I loved like Aquarium Drunkard and Girl vs. Bear was like super popping at the time. And Ian Cohn had this blog called Sexy Results. Did you ever read that? Mm -mm. No. It was, really, it was really good. You know, Joey, he had like the straight banging blog in New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like, yeah, like, you know, I'd read that. And I was like, and then oh. he was a lawyer. Yeah, you know, yeah, Joey yeah. Lippman. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He uh, he did what uh, my family would have loved for me to have done. <laughs> so, um, you know, you're you're doing a, a blog spot, um, making big money. Sure, oh yeah, yeah. 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 racks upon racks. too much money. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know what to do with it. But so did you had the drug traffic? <laughs> did you was did you were you driven to uh, build an audience, or was it something where you're like, I'll put it out there and eventually people will find me? Well, I was writing this book at the time, so I really thought like at first I was like, well, you should. I, like, I liked the community of the blogs. I also like was like, well, I guess you should have like some kind of digital presence because it was before social media. Like, you couldn't just be funny on Twitter, or you couldn't have a Tumblr or whatever. You had to have a blog. So I was like, okay, well that's cool. Someone once said something really good. He's like, or uh, she said she was like. The thing about blogs where they've allowed you to have a job in journalism where your parents didn't know someone, you know, and I didn't go, I didn't have the money to do journalism when no one was going to pay. I mean, I could have taken debt, but I, I, it just seemed to, I, all the journalists I knew that were like, they're just like, don't go to journalism yeah. school. Like, so I was like, all right, like the guy, uh, this guy, Bob Sipchin, like Bob, Bob Sipchin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. At, at Occidental where Barack went. Uh, <laughs> He like my friends actually. I was like such an idiot. Like I decided to take the Moby Dick class, and like they took the journalism class. But they're like, <laughs> he says, don't go to journalism school. I was like, all right, secondhand. I got it. <laughs> so then I just started doing it, and then like I I had some money saved up, and I really wanted to finish my book, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like quit this business journal job, just work on my book for I can have like six months, like before like if I do enough like small work, like I can like hold out, and if I can't get into the Times or the like Weekly, then like maybe I shouldn't do this. And like six months later, like I got into the Times, I think first, and it was, yeah, I remember there was a guy named Kevin Bronson who, um, great guy, he was like, a f uh, he still has this website called Buzz Bands that like covers local bands in LA, but you know he gave me a chance because like. It was funny because he was like played an adult league baseball team. He's like, I hear you're a pretty good baseball player. I'm like, I'm not, like I used to be, but like I'm like I'm like doing my own thing now. I'm like trying to be a writer, and he's like, well. Maybe you should play my baseball team. I'll give you a shot. <laughs> yeah, writing. And I was like, that's fair. So yeah. I played in his baseball team for two years. And uh, 
like two summers and he gave me a shot at the LA Times and like how'd my, you do by the way it was pretty good okay yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. like I'm always I'd always hit like 360 oh. and like but I'm sorry what yeah that's, yeah I don't or like three between 330 and 360 I'd always hit but I never like I did pretty good yeah, I was yeah. only one of the best bad no, managers no but it, but it's like it's like adult league it's you know it should be hitting <laughs> yeah. like 520 you sure. know yeah, yeah. it's like or it's like in college you know what I mean like I I, I always hit above 300 but it's like not like you're, it's not like major league pitching you should be hitting like 400 so right. my best thing was like a guy that was a first round draft pick I got a couple off and one in a college game. It was like the closest I came. That's dope. It was like this guy Jason Hirsch who played at Cal, Cal Lutheran was in our league and yeah. I don't know, was, Sparky Anderson came to the games and we're like, Sparky's here. Wow. <laughs> I was the guy that like scouts would come to the games and they'd be like, yeah, that guy's like good. Like, you know, and then like, they're like, what's wrong with him? And it's like, oh, he's like, has a 10 cent brain. You know, like, yeah, it was like a writer's brain in a baseball. Were you like body. Sparky Anderson, like Tiger's okay, but Sparky Anderson, Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, I was like, yeah, legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big red machine, Sparky Anderson. Yeah. Did you exchange uh, blog roll requests with, with everybody? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was about, like, I mean, I remember like that was like a big deal, right? You guys it was everything. Blog roll, yeah. like, whoa. Do you remember the site whatevs.org? Yes. Like, so, he, like, this guy, Mark Graham, that really nice guy. And, like, mm-hmm. I remember he had, like, a section where he was ranked. And it was, like, the A-list. And it was, like, more <laughs> buzz than you. And, like, he put me in more buzz than you. And I was, like, I made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah This yeah, is yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Smooth sailing from here on out. <laughs> and it was. Yeah. <laughs> what were you writing about on your site? It started out just, like, a mixture of, like, old music me complaining about how much I hated LA at the time because it was like the height of like the LA like hipster Hollywood hip yeah it was like yeah. d- American apparel like mm-hmm. space Tuesday nights like but like, you were also reading like Gawker and Defamer yeah. and like Alex Blagg and like totally. all the like I'm sure Gabe Delahaye and did you have that like voice too where you were just like you're so trying. disaffected I was trying to yeah, like, yeah I would definitely love Defamer like I love Mark Lasani stuff and I was like trying to write they would just make fun of the people from Misshapes yeah yeah <laughs> I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life like but hipster or homeless or whatever yeah, yeah, that was a dark time for L.A. too, I thought. Like, it just didn't have the, you know, like what L.A. had became in the ensuing years. I'd go out, and I was like, I want to make it a Cobra Snake party. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, like, weird. Like, Maybe. Then, like, <laughs> yeah. No, and then, of course, well, everyone has one Cobra Snake story. Yeah, yeah, like, you yeah, have yeah. to have one. What is yours? My one one <laughs> is I was reporting a story. You walked in front of his camera and Magic Johnson yelled at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly <laughs> it. And, no, I was, I, I this must have been, what, 2000. 11, I think 2010, 2011 and spin like when it was still a print thing mm-hmm. like I think it was, it was the first or second thing there but they're like it was this crazy story I was it came out pretty well I'm pretty still happy about it but they like they're like we don't know what the scene is like there was a place called Freak City in Hollywood Boulevard so like for a while actually like, it was like a really cool it almost was like Pleasure Island but like <laughs> but like it was like 80s graffiti hip hop uh-huh. it was like a very weird thing like it was right on Hollywood Boulevard and you had to enter through an alley and for some reason the cops like didn't shut it down for like two years and like it would just go to like five in the morning and they'd have like Egyptian Lover played there once wow. and a little bass god played there once like it was like they would just let you do whatever and they would like you know serve you like drinks and thimbles and so there was a scene that kind of <laughs> cropped up around it and uh there was this girl named like Lauren Avery who's like she's like I think an Instagram thing now but like she was like going under the name Meg Ryan that was like and they're like they're like and they were convinced that Lauren Avery was the heir to the Avery Dennison paper fortune or whatever <laughs> which was totally wrong like it was like no like which I, until like three weeks of reporting then she's like why would they think that she's like that's not true yeah. and I was like I'm a great reporter <laughs> and so I remember like in the course of reporting I think I ended up going to, like a party at some like rich guy's house in the hills and this girl calls up the Cobra Snake to pick us up <laughs> like what and like I my car was in the bottom of the hill so like but the Cobra Snake somehow picks us up wearing just tidy whities sure <laughs> like of course yeah like, well and a mustache yeah and a mustache 
And like he's like hurtling down the hill. Like I think of like a Range Rover. Like in the Hollywood Hills, the Cobra snakes in his tidy whiteies. And I'm just like, oh my god, this is like the worst LA story <laughs> ever. Like put me out of my misery. Yeah, it's a story. Yeah, I never figured out what the story was, but it, it ended up in print. <laughs> like the whole thing made no sense, and then the place got shut down. Like, so what were you there. listening to at that point? Uh, which which point? Like in that in that early blog sort oh, of point. The long answer, right, is that I came up on like you know the '90s West Coast. Stuff. Sure. Obviously, I loved the East Coast stuff like Gangstar, Wu Tang tribe all j8 all that stuff like yeah. I, mean, I was the biggest jay-z fan like i didn't understand because i never was super into the underground wars where i was like oh i'm not supposed to like jay-z because he's popular like we were just like I-, I heard brooklyn's finest and i was like well that's the best song i've ever heard in my yeah. life like you know and then like you know in when college like obviously it was the height of like the the raucous and like def jucks and like post fondulum and so i got into that you know and i got into doom and then like I don't know. There was those periods where, like, I was like trying to find like underground. You know what I mean? Like, Murs had a couple albums I liked. Like, I forget. Like, you know, Black Milk was doing stuff, but it it wasn't like now or even like I feel like around 2010 it kind of kickstarted again. Like, I feel like that was a real low ebb. I was listening to a lot of indie rock at the time because that was like really the the thing that was like, especially around here. Like, you know, I was like, I guess I'm in silver. Like, I don't even know what. Like LA, we're talking about like LA rap, right? Yeah. Where it's like you know Bishop Lamont was trying to get his album. No one, there was just the game. It was like no one could get their album put out. Like right. Russell Malone was trying to, you know, and like Nipsey was in label purgatory just starting. Yep. Kent, TDE was like before TDE, before Odd Future. You know, I remember I did a cover story for the, for the Weekly, right? And this was I think this was one of my first big ones too. And it was like the new faces of LA rap, right? I just started writing for them, and it was like Blue. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I like yeah, I liked Blue a lot, you know, but Blue obviously like got signed to Warner Brothers and basically got shelved for a while. Pack Div got yep. shelved. This is Bishop, before Dom Kennedy. Yeah, before Dom Kennedy. Yeah, uh, Bishop Lamont got shelved, and the Nux who put out one album and then like they got no promo, and then, you know they were like kind of like. So there, I was listening to like a lot of like you know like indie rock stuff for for a couple of years because I just you know I'd still listen to rap, but I mean I don't know like Wolf Parade. I really loved Wolf Parade. Like, yeah, I loved this band Islands. You ever listen to them? Like yep. You know, like the first Arcade Fire was, I, I thought that was great. I thought Interpol, the first album was great. I mean, that was kind of, uh, were you guys like, do you guys ever like have like an indie rock year or two? Yeah. I mean, I listened to like Yaysayer, Passion Pit, like, but that's probably as far as it yeah. like went. Yeah. No, I was like, yeah. Like, yeah Vampire like, Weekend. Yeah. Dunyan, like you were the Swedish band Dunyan, I was like Mm-mm, super no. obsessed with. I liked like the first Beirut album. I was like really into it for like a year or two just because I was like kind of like sad, like, at the time too and like I don't know rap I think it like took a while to figure out what the sound was you know for like what underground music even was right like I remember when Bronson came out that seemed like kind of new for like oh this is rock marciano obviously I mean I feel like rock when he came out with Mark Berg like changed everything for New York rap because you're like I mean if you really think about it like whether it's like Griselda or whether it's like those kids like Mike or like all of it, I think, kind of is post-rock. You yeah, know? but how'd you, as a as an Angelino, approach things? Because I feel like the city is so proud of their rap origins. Yeah. And even in that down period where it was just the game around here, people were rooting for something bigger, right? Yeah. And when I think of you now, I do think of you as, like, the L.A. guy, right? And I feel like if there was anybody to sort of, like push even the smallest guy out here it would be you did you feel like you were like on the hunt for that guy yeah totally all the time i mean I, and I, I if i'm being honest with you like a lot of the like a lot of those artists i liked but like i didn't like you know really like love obviously when kendrick came out that guy was like okay this is amazing like and that was i mean i, I do believe in like a sense of regionalism where rap does sound differently no matter what city you're in it's like when i'm in new york it's like we're talking about rock i'm like right. oh if it's snowing like and i hear snow like done yeah you know, or on the 90s stuff, it, it sounds perfect. I remember Cannibal Ox, like that sounds, that's like a perfect Subway album. But LA, like, you know, it was like a low ebb. And Did I, you buy I, into I, J-Rock? 
I like that single with Wayne. Yeah. But it, I didn't like love, love it. Like I, I liked J-Rock. There's a lot of stuff like I liked. Like, you know, like, like Nipsey I liked, but like I wasn't like, I think Nipsey's last album was the best thing he's ever done. Yeah. You know? yeah. Agreed. And, you know, it's like right this weird balance where you're like, I don't want to be like a cheerleader where it's like kind of corny where you're like, you know, and I feel like a lot of cities do that where they like they'll try to like sell you something. And you're like, Ugh. but then there's like also things where it's like, look, I don't really like a bo- like a boogie or a boogie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, a boogie. But, yeah. Like, I'm so LA. Right. Yeah. Me for that. Like you just I was like, Ugh. but like, like that's like I the like thing in New York. Boogie, or Jay Cringe. The boogie. The, yeah. 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 Well, we have our own boogie here. And then there's Big Boogie from Baltimore, who, who, yeah. might be, who I love. He has a sicko mode version. It's amazing. Love Big Boogie. La- I like Boogie yeah, from yeah, here boogie. a lot, mm-hmm. and then there's yeah. then there's just a Boogie, yeah, yeah. A boogie. <laughs> and who uh, has the number one album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Blue. I mean, so then like I just or like Jay Critch, right? Like that doesn't like hit me, and like I wonder. If, well, like, you're also it would hit not me. a 20 year old kid from Brooklyn, totally. Although, but like I love the stuff in L.A. where it's like like Blueface. I heard that and I was like, this is my favorite shit ever. Draco Greedo. Well, let's one let's also Jay. be honest too. Like Chicago, if you're from Chicago. Yeah. You love your Chicago artists, good, bad, or indifferent. Right? Totally. Well, Chicago, I think, definitely is, like, very boosterish. But it's also, like, that makes sense because, like, it, it is kind of on often overlooked places. And it's, like, you know, and that's weird, right, where it's, like, I like Keith, but, like, obviously I'm, I'm not going to relate to, like, Keith, like, a 16-year-old kid is going from the South Or, side. like, David Drake. Yeah. Or, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> David Drake likes Chief Keith. <laughs> David Drake loves Sosa. Yeah. I, Shout love, to I love David Drake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout David Drake. A great man and has fancy footwork, as I told Chris Crack last night. Yo, I <laughs> David Drake, actually, low-key good dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I we, took months to it. We've seen him, uh, David Drake dance, like, all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you know you're real hip-hop. Hold up, Jeff. Wait a minute. <laughs> we got some mugs to sell. You interrupted yourself. No, I interrupted Jeff Weiss. Oh, it is confusing. Yeah. Okay. I don't meet that many other Jeffs. I don't think we've had any other Jeffs on the podcast. That's not true. Jeff Sludge. Oh, do we have any other Eric's on the podcast? Uh, Eric. Yes. Eric, the architect from, um, man, from Flatbush Zombies. <laughs> this is all right. Whatever. Fine. Yeah. Any Dan's on the podcast? Dan Rosenthal has been on the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway. Anyway. Uh, we're selling mugs, we're selling t-shirts, and we're selling rhyme books. You can get our rhyme books signed or unsigned. You have the option. Un- that is, yeah, that is the option, and you can get them all at itsthereal.com slash shop. The rhyme books were not previously on our website. Now they are. Now they are. Go get them. We have a limited amount. Rhyme books signed or unsigned. Yeah, because and- a lot of people have been like, I want a rhyme book, but I don't know how to find it. And it's like, people cannot find it on Amazon. Well, guess what, guys? Guess what? It's on itsthereal.com slash shop and while you're there yeah sign up for that newsletter that i've been talking about a little bit (laughs) you've been talking about it i love talking about my newsletter you jeff yeah and now back to jeff so you're establishing your website and what ultimately becomes the piece that you're like oh i can point to that and say i found my voice I mean, I don't know. Like, there's like moments, right? Like, where I would say, like, it, like that that piece on Jerkin was like that to me at that point was like I was like a five thousand word piece. I like reported it for a long time, but then I was like still kind of like trying to be Tom Wolf. And then I did a story on DJ Quick that I really liked. You know, in like it was a cover story. I think it was 2012. I think it's good to be like the piece where I found my voice is the most recent piece, right? Like, so I did a piece for uh, that's kind of come out on Pitchfork I, I, at some point. Uh, maybe, hopefully it'll be out by the time mm-hmm. this airs. Before the paywall. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> hopefully before the paywall. And uh, I went down to Baton Rouge and like, I, so I like have a lot of love. I mean, I like love a lot of like certain cities. Like, I mean, Baton Rouge to me is like one of my favorite places. I was like, became in like the, I actually, when I came to New York, my friend Evan McGarvey 
I, I never really like listened to Boosie extensively. And this must have been like 07 or something. And he just like put on like going through some things and we were like getting drunk in his apartment. And I just was like, this is the best shit I've ever heard. And um, I got super into Boosie. And then so I covered his murder trial in Baton Rouge. And I've been going down there for like the last like six or seven years, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of years and kind of interviewing all the rappers. And it's like a really dark and violent and kind of um, but like very powerful the music down there. Like, yeah. you know, and I've just had like all these like weird, crazy experiences. So I, I went down there uh, last year and I wrote this like to the longest piece I've ever written. It's like over 20,000 words. Um, wow. Yeah. Which, of course, my editors love. <laughs> They're like, great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. They're like, yeah. we only asked for a thousand. Yeah, like a thousand. <laughs> like we can change nothing. A boogie. <laughs> like, God, I'm like, yeah, totally. So it's but it's you know, it's crazy. It's like, you know, on like Young Boy and all these different rappers out yeah. there and like, you know, a lot of guns. And, and that's like one of the things that I kind of like lament about the state of like popular. Uh, well, I don't even rap journalism in general, like in the sense where it's like. You know, you look at those old sources and you're like, well, they would have scene reports and they'd have like four or five like really in-depth stories a month. Like maybe the writing wasn't great, but like the facts that they were getting are great. And now it's like you look at it and you're like, uh, I guess it's like a DJ Vlad interview or something on YouTube. I mean, you guys obviously do great work. But well, it's like but, there's but not isn't that the interesting thing. Like people think that we're journalists and we don't consider ourselves journalists at all. Not because yeah, we don't, yeah. But that's yeah. but but that's like the, the funny thing is, right, like a lot of the best. I mean, if we're being honest, like I'm, I'm, I'm like DJ Vlad, like gets a lot of like if you're looking for information about rappers, like I think that's like why one of the reasons why No Jumper got really popular is because like there was nothing on X and P- kids like whether we want something to exist. I mean, like obviously the X situation is like a whole different topic, right? Where it's like, you know, it's a troubled kid. It was like a like a awful, you know, things yeah. that he's done. Yeah. The reality is no matter what we as like what, you know, whatever, if you be, I don't even know if gatekeepers honestly exist at this point, really, unless you're like a radio DJ where you're putting them in front of millions of people. But, you know, as journalists, like kids, the, the truth is kids wanted to know what X was like, whether, yeah. you know, yeah. no matter. And like probably fueled also by like the abuse stuff, which is like sad. and It's a sad commentary. And um, that, and that's a problem with America, right? And that's kind of what I talk about in the Baton Rouge piece. It's like the pro- one of the problems with America is how much we love outlaws, right? We celebrate outlaws. Like Bonnie and Clyde was like one of the most popular movies of the 60s. Easy Rider again. This is two motorcycle outlaws. It's like Billy the Kid. Like, you know, he's the a Sopranos. Fucking, yeah, yeah, he's a fucking yeah. mass murderer, Billy the Kid. I mean, the Ted Bundy thing is interesting. And I've been thinking a lot yeah. about that because um, in the context of Draco, the ruler, who's like I've been covering. I you know, went to court last week uh, to, to, you know, and. I watched Draco to cover it, that, not just because to, of your to, own to, like to, personal issues. Well, yeah, 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 totally. And I went to cover it, and it, it, it's tragic. You know, it's like these kids. It's his whole rap crew, the Stink Team. They have like chains around their waist. They're handcuffed behind like a metal cage in court. They're treating them like 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 animals. It was, I mean, it was like racist. It was like disheartening. It's like, I mean, if you, I mean, I think anybody that spent any time dealing with anything in the criminal justice system or like realizes it's just like the most inhumane thing imaginable mm-hmm. and uh you know i'm thinking about ted bundy yeah netflix is like you know there's a lot of other hot guys and you're like literally this billion dollar corporation is tweeting about the serial killer being hot and you're exploiting it and like what about the women that he murdered yeah and, you know, like I, I, no matter and that to me is like oh but if it was a young black man who was an artist like we're just going to shackle him in chains and like like the racial element of it yeah. is like really disturbing but isn't like horrible one of the craziest things about the ted bundy thing which is like not worth watching i didn't think yeah, but didn't one of the craziest things was he's arrested after 26 or so murders yeah. women who you like would then like fuck in the woods or whatever yeah after killing them without anything on him he was able to like stand there and give his side of the story to television cameras totally 
yeah, like, and, totally, yeah, alongside prosecutors. Like he would just be like, okay, like you've had your fun. You've you've tried to arrest me here. You're serving me with papers or whatever. Here's my side of the story. Totally. Well, it's like Zach Fox, I think, has like a tweet right now. It's like really poignant. He's like, when a white man gets arrested of murdering his family and it's like them on a jet ski. Yeah. You know, like he's like a family on a jet ski. And like, that's like the thing where it's like, and I watched that so much with, with the Boosie thing. That was like really like, not to say I didn't know before, but like I'm at this trial and it's me and Boosie's whole family, you know, I'm like pretty much the only white person in the room, like Boosie's family. And like, I'm sitting with the family and like, you know, it, it was, it was, it was heavy, you know, they're all like praying and holding hands and they like kind of like took me in and like, and, uh, you're, you're in there and then you have the, 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 the police on the other side, mostly like white or, you know, they're, they're, they're just, there's like a sinister vibe coming from them. And you're in Baton Rouge. Like, you're like, this is a place where it's like the darkest crime ever committed, you know, obviously slavery. I'll never forget. They bring in the person who was alleged to be Boosie's hitman. And like, they're still, you hear the chains rattling from the next room and they're like, bring out the, bring out Marlo Mike to testify. And you're like, he's shackled in chains and like this jumpsuit. And it's just like the way it's, it was just so like, all the sins of America, like still coming out in the forefront. And uh, yeah, and, and that's still happening. I mean, in, in LA, that's the crazy thing. This Draco thing, I'm so passionate about it because it's like there, and they did it with Boosie, which was even a different instance of using his lyrics against him. And that's a whole different thing. I mean, I, I right. personally don't think you should ever use a rapper's lyrics against him just right. as a rule. It's right. just, Agreed. It, it should be like, it's art. And like, even if there's a lot of similarities, it should just be off the record. Agreed. It cannot be put on the record. Right. Yeah. But um, Draco's case is particular galling. Like the Boosie case, you know, if you, the prosecution's argument was that they had confiscated hard drives and he'd recorded two songs. One at one was called 187, one was called Body Bag, and mm -hmm. it was within an hour after the murders. So, like, that was there, and they had a bunch of like circumstantial evidence, but they were obviously like, they, they did not prove the case well enough. He should have been acquitted, regardless of the logistics of it. He, he definitely should have been acquitted. And also, the other thing you realize being in a case like that is like, whoever has the money for the best attorney is going to win. And, you know, and it's like so many innocent people have probably got convicted because they're the public defender. The Draco case, it's like, I don't know if you guys have listened to him. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like he's one of these artists where it's like, he reminds me a lot of Ghostface. Mm -hmm. It takes like a while to crack, you know, and then like all of a sudden it's all you want to listen to. Draco's lyrics are very slang heavy, like filled with double meaning and intricate syllables. But anyways, they're using these lyrics against him to try to paint him as like the sociopathic gang member. I mean, how many like rappers do we know that call themselves like, you know, their crew a gang? Like mm -hmm. every rapper, yeah. call, you know what I mean? More or less. Mm -hmm. And... You know, they're using these, like, in California, they, obviously, because the Bloods and Crips are from here, all you need to classify someone as a gang, I think, is, like, a hand sign, a logo, and three or more people. It's something like that. It's pretty close to that. And so it's, like, they can call anyone a gang, and then all of a sudden there's enhancements, so you can't get bail, mandatory sentencing comes in. And it's also just a way to, like, tarnish the person in the eyes of the jury, because it's, like, you hear the word gang, we've dealt with 30 years of demonization where it's like the meaning of a, you know, different gangs are different. You know, it's, it's just a complicated thing, but to have to watch it and kind of have to see it used against people in 2019 in LA yeah. kind of has shocked me. I mean, the Bobby Schmurter thing though, right? It's very yeah. similar. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I, I wish that there were more people kind of covering these kids because there's like hundreds of them. I have an article in the last playboy about this and there's like, there are, I think they told the, the, what these people that this guy, Eric Nielsen, he does it for a living. You know, he's a professor at the university of Richmond and he tracks these court cases, but he said there's like 500 something cases in over the last like decade where they've used like random kids, like 19 year old kids that just have a SoundCloud page and they'll use their lyrics against him. The craziest actually was there's this rapper named, he was named tiny do and he's from San Diego. Right. And he was like, I think now he's like in his mid to late thirties. And I think he put out an album when he was like, uh, I think it's like called no safety or something. Right. And it's like, he had used to be in like a San Diego sect of the bloods. Right. 
I think there were like a series of drive-by shootings in San Diego. And he, this guy, like at this point, like he'd used him in a gangbanger, but he was like out of it and like was like literally laying tile for a living. And he gets arrested. And these prosecutors, there was an obscure law that had really never been used, but it was on the books. And they were trying to say that by rapping about the gang, he was promoting the gang so he could be accused of any act of violence or any criminality that the gang did. Which is insane to think about, right? So these yeah. guys committed drive-by. He happens to be in the gang rapping about it. So you're liable for committing the drive-by because you promoted it, right? Like right. you made gangbang a thing. Which is crazy because literally we're talking about an album that has like 3,000 SoundCloud streams. Right. Yeah, but also like that could be said about like any sort of journalist who covers it because then you're yeah. promoting it. You know, I mean like yeah. if you take anything to the nth degree, then totally. that just becomes like an insane sort yeah. of bar. And he sent like nine months in jail, like tons of money for legal fees, like couldn't That's get him a job. Like now if you Google him, tiny Brandon Duncan, yeah. the first thing that comes up is like... Like this this court case where it's like oh you used to be in the bloods and it's like dude like he got out of it like that like, so much of gangs and this is like that's another thing that's been interesting about like being able to, to report and like i'm a big that's why i'm a big believer in reporting because like look i grew up on the west side of la like there were no gangs there and like you maybe they you knew of someone that like had gang backup or something you know but you didn't really know like i didn't know bloods and crips right mm-hmm. and you have this misguided notion right of like in in the popular press right like they mythologize gangbangers good and ba- mostly bad right like mostly it was demonizing but like also like you know your perception of gangbanging is like boys in the hood or menace to society and like nwa and like you know above the whatever you know right. the chronic doggy style and then you realize like so much of it is like it's like family lineage right it's like a lot of gangbangers especially now like their mother was in it their their father was in it sometimes their grandfather was in it you know like i think vince staples was like telling me how like his he you know he's was vague about it but he's like yeah like my grandfather ended up starting like one of the big gangs in compton like he kind of like left it at that yeah and you know it's it not everybody in a gang is a killer you know what i mean like and it's like i feel like there's plenty of people aren't like a lot of it is just like that's your neighborhood those are your like local ties and well i mean the killer mike just did a trigger warning on netflix and he talks about how for a lot of people, it's like a, a, a frat. White people have Elks clubs. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure the Masons did as much sinister shit, if not more. Like, right. but you know what I mean. No one's like tarring. I mean, they had anti-Mason party in the 19th century. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you don't really hear much anti-Mason sentiment these right. days. Yeah, but we like the Kiwanis Club or whatever. Like a lot of it is just like I don't know. Like like the Bloods literally started to protect themselves from Crips. And like that's not to say that there aren't like killers or whatever. Yeah, but. The reality is, like, more complicated. And where it gets really dangerous is where it, it seeps into popular culture. Totally. So, you know, using blood talk and all that. So, right? Which, yeah. which, by the way, becomes normalized. Completely. And then people who use it in their raps and don't live this life, it can then be used against them. Totally. For whatever yeah. sins have been happening. Well, it's like when white people, like, use, like, Brazy or something. Right. Bompton or You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's yeah. like, ugh. Right. Like, the reality is, like, it's funny because I'm was i I'm doing this piece on Snoop Dogg, which is, like, comically late, but uh, <laughs> I guess always. Wait, but, is um, he, like, a fresh face? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I don't know if you've listened to this on Doggy style, but pretty, pretty good. Make sure to and, check it uh, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it was like a source article from like 93. And I think it was like Dream Hampton or like she was taking it through the hood or whatever. And he's like, this is Bompton. Bompton obviously was like, wasn't even like Compton. It was like a section of Compton that was controlled by bloods, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like Compton there's, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, you know, certain high schools in a lot of these cities are like, like Compton high is a crip high school. Like Compton Centennial is a blood high school. Like if you know, and like it's just like stuff like that where I kind of kind of get super. I mean, not to say that I'm like because there's so much. I mean, I don't know anything when it comes to the grand perspective versus somebody that actually lived that. But which I think is important too. As like a white person in hip hop, 
I think part of it is like knowing your inherent limitations. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's like important to know like where, you know, like this is the line, like, to, I mean, and I'm sure, you know, sometimes you accidentally like overstep it or whatever, but you know, it's like with conversation we are having before where it's like, yeah. I think it's like if you are contributing to the culture mm -hmm. in, in hopefully a meaningful way and covering stories that are, people aren't like, then, you know, yeah, it's a good thing. Your site becomes passion of the wise. Did that come from the movie or? <laughs> yeah, it was like 05, right? So it was like the movie had like kind of had, had been out for not that long. I was like, that's a dumb joke. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's funny. Like, continuing my great uh, thing of like leading and getting kicked out. I, I was on my high school newspaper, got fired as a sports editor. Damn. Um, Cause like long story. Steroids. But, yeah. <laughs> the, ju the juice was loose. <laughs> and uh, I ended up like having to spend like my like, and I told off the teacher like, like at one point, like, I mean, I apologized to him a few years later, but I mean, like really like just read him the riot act wow. in front of the entire class. Like, you know, 17 years old. I was like, no, it was like, it was like the scene. In, like, it was like the scene in half baked, you know, where I'm like, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. You're cool. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And like, I just was like, nobody respect. It was really mean, honestly. But like the truth is he was an asshole yeah. to me at the time. And like, so I like, I got thrown out of my high school journalism program, but I'd always like wanted to call him in the newspaper. You know, I was like, what's a dumb pun name? Yeah, sure, sure. And now like, uh, thank God, like passion the way like spells up POW. So mm -hmm. like kind yeah. of, you know, if you yeah. take out the T. So I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm like, that's fine. I can call it POW now and like not have to make a Mel Gibson joke. Yeah, I was just, like, yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah, like, oh, yeah. yeah. Because who loves the Jews more than Mel Gibson? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in hindsight. So who were you early on, you think? Who who did you, who did you? Uh, Kendrick, I was like, I think I was like, I mean, I think maybe like two dope boys had like a MP3, but I was the first to never write about Kendrick in any kind of uh, meaningful way. Um, and what, what appealed to you about him? I was writing for the Times and the Times is like, do you want to go to like a Mac 10 video shoot? Rick Ross and Lil Wayne are going to be there. It's in Malibu. I'm like, 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, At the yeah, time, yeah. they're like, I'll give you like 200 bucks. I'm like, sold. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you, I, I would, I would love you. to drive four hours over <laughs> yeah, to Malibu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I show up there and it's like that overcast day. Ross pulls up with like a blunt holder, not talking to anybody. Wayne comes out of like uh, Escalade limo with like, eight girls pants like halfway to his way it's like mac 10's kind of been like the mayor and then like it's like a beach set but it's a cold day and so there's like girls in bikinis like playing volleyball but it's like too cold so, and like it's like a high they have like highlight canastas it's like very weird like an ice cream truck but it's fucking cold it's right. like it's a real struggle rap video and obviously like mac you know it was like mac 10 so little wayne had the cash money ties with him and like you know mac 10's kind of just an og so like they were clearly kind of doing him a favor yeah my friend richie he just points he goes like this guy next to me right he was like must have been like i'm Kendrick is not tall. He's like about five five, like an unassuming guy. He goes, that guy's gonna be the next big rapper in LA. And you know, you've heard that so many times, right? Like everyone <laughs> yeah. says that, right? I was like talking to these two girls that were there. I mean, like they could not have been less interested in me. You know what I mean? Like it was they just, just wanted to play volleyball. Yeah, they right, just yeah. were there to play volleyball. <laughs> they, they were just like girls watching. Them. They weren't even like video girls. They were just like randomly there. And I was just like, all right, well, whatever. Like, I'm so bored on the yeah. set. And they were like totally, and then Kendrick like sidles up at some point and is like kind of like he's like yeah you know we're with Wayne like blah blah and you're like I'm like that's a very confident and like they, they you know he my friend Richie is like oh K Dot this is Jeff and Kendrick obviously could care less yeah, <laughs> like, yeah he goes yeah. back talking to the girls and then I go home and I like I, I check out the song called Corrupted it was like literally just Kendrick doing the corrupt flow and I was like this is dope and I like wrote a POW blog post did that find his way to him. I don't think so. I don't think like he had any, you know, it's weird. Like certain artists you'll write about like really early and they never realize it, and that's okay. Like, I don't think you're doing it for like, it was cool. Like Greedo, you know, he, he, certain artists like love press, you know what I mean? Certain artists like are really like readers and Kendrick doesn't read about himself. Yeah. Like, at least, at least what I've been told. Well, he doesn't like, really read in general. Like I remember yeah. I, I interviewed him for Vibe and I was like, oh, like you definitely read books. And yeah. He was like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Like it's always weird when like that, it, like Aesop Rock, I remember like said he didn't read books and you're like, how do you even know those words right. if you don't read books? Kendrick, yeah. I mean, how was your... I just interviewed Kendrick recently. It was kind of like a 
he gave me the post he gave me like the the post game NFL interview interview mm-hmm. like where it's like I'm just kind of giving you like yeah. he was nice but he like wasn't like he wouldn't even admit that he was like making music now I'm like <laughs> I assume you're making music yeah, like, yeah. he's like no it's got ideas he's like I'm writing a lot I'm like what are you writing he's like that's personal I'm like yeah right. he um <laughs> we we were down at Bonnaroo in 2012 and um and we we knew Dave Free very well yeah he's and, a great guy Dave Free yeah amazing person underrated producer too it, oh. Also, great footwork. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, but that makes sense. He, um, no, I have no idea. He he hooked us up with an interview because yeah. we were working for Bonnaroo, doing all these interviews with yeah. like Questlove, Alice Cooper, Feist, yeah, Alice, uh, Alice Cooper. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was fun. Alice, Alice Cooper was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cooper? Yeah. You asked about um, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you did. Yeah, of course you did. Yeah, but the joke with that was we let him to to answer Milwaukee, but we're like, oh no, it's pronounced Kenosha. The weird thing is, I didn't realize until like two years ago, Milwaukee is. Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, wait, what? <laughs> like, uh, my whole life has been. Who do we? Oh, we interviewed somebody recently. Maybe it was like Harrison Remler. He was throwing a, a concert in his backyard, and I was like, oh, like Wayne Stock. And he was like, what's that? And I was like, all right, all right yeah, you know, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so we, so we, Rip Torn play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we interviewed Kendrick down in Bonnaroo, and we're talking about all these different things, including the fact that we had seen him perform at SOBs at a Charles Hamilton show because oh, it, wow. it was really a, it was a J-Rock yeah. opening for Charles Hamilton and Kendrick was in the crowd and part of Charles Hamilton's like shtick then was to go in the crowd and like who wants to freestyle against me and so this kid who was part of J-Rock's camp was like I will and there's video of it which is wow. wild on you know on online now so we brought it up to him and there was like no response and then we joked around with him no response and then we asked him something about Drake and he walked out and we wow. were like well that's that. And then yeah. they wouldn't sign a release. And we were like, well, that guy has no sense of humor. And then like I don't a, know, year later, a year later, he was on SNL. And, and we we're, were just like, like oh, w- w- cause th- what happened to, you know, to the guy that we found? So, yeah, yeah. He uh, I mean, I interviewed him once in like, I feel like 2014, 15. And it was a really good interview. And like I mentioned, the corrupted thing I'm meeting. Obviously, he didn't remember meeting me. But like the fact that I mentioned that like obscure song, like and I wrote, you know, he but that was good. This one wasn't. I mean, like, I, I think, like, just artists get to that level of fame where they're never going to give you a, a, like, there's no point for them to be revealing, right? right? Like, you know, it's like Drake. Like, I'm not a Drake fan, but, like, I can't imagine that, like, Drake is going to give a good interview ever again. Like, what is what is the gain from, you know, when you can get Maverick Carter and LeBron to do this, like, which was crazy. Yeah. You know, like, the way that that was. I mean, like, there is a marketing genius about that. and But that's what sucks, right? It's like, there's this Catch-22, right, where... Right now, you, a good story would be like go to Detroit with Sada Baby, right? And like go around like the east side because like and you write a story about Detroit because he's not he's famous where people will know the article, but like y- y- most national editors, you know, are, are not gonna be like, oh yes, that's like a good story because they, they don't want like the a Jay, a Wayne, a, whatever, you know, what, whatever Big Sean even, sure. you know, like I mean, I've written like three Big Sean stories because people are just write about, but you know, and I'm like, all right, I'll take a check for a Q&A but lovely guy not, yeah, not yeah, like yeah, an interview yeah. but like a nice guy so who so like what excites you then like is it possible for you to try to write the profile on someone on Snoop's level or is it is that, it yeah I got to that yeah. was cool like Snoop I mean so, and sometimes you meet someone and they're like like Snoop was everything I'd hoped Snoop would be yeah you know you're just like wow you're Snoop <laughs> you yeah, know like yeah. in every sense of the word like it just like and like I, I actually talked to Andrew Barber about it because I was like I'd never I'd met like Snoop but like not like really like it was just like a quick like whatever and I never got to sit down with Snoop until recently and that was always kind of like a bucket list do you guys yeah. get to do like a no uh, not, not yet yeah, but, yeah, but like it'll, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah, doing something I've done something with him before but yeah, yeah. so that was always like a you know like a I always wanted to sit 
town and like barbara was just like man just like just be yourself and talk about like old school la rap and like the kind of early shit yeah and like you know i started asking like snoop like dumb questions it was a variety so i like wanted to you know he was promoting Tell me about katie perry's california girls <laughs> right, right. i asked him that four times yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah good answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like promoting like a walk of fame thing or something. right yeah. right so I was like, start, and then like the moment, like I, I started asking about like you know the early '90s or whatever, it, like a switch went on, and he gave me the best interview, and, and it was a great piece. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun, and it, it 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 felt like him. Yeah, is it impossible to get those done as compared to like a Greedo thing where it's just like he's young, he wants that press right yeah, now? Yeah, that's I mean that's the time to do it is before they've done like that many interviews. Like I was thinking like now like I I, I wanted to do a blue face piece, but I was like I just like honestly like I'm just gonna let like other people do it like I it's fine like I don't need to, you know as I've gotten older I kind of just like well I need to focus on like more like the Baton Rouge piece to me is more something that like means something to me or like I'm you know a, a bigger piece on Draco or like kind of doing something that has um hopefully can help in some like more way rather than like this is the new hot rapper that you know people need to check out and that's like also why I have passion the white still going is because I mean, the blog era is is, is definitely dead. That's like, a wrap. I mean, yeah. Where are you gonna find like I don't know? We just did a profile on like Pee Wee Longway, and it's like yeah, like Noisy might do it, Fader might do it, you know, Pitchfork might do it, but there's not like blogs just doing that kind of thing anymore. Whereas I think when we were like younger, there definitely were. Tell me about like, and I know you've spoken about this before when you um, started the Patreon for yeah. for your site, yeah, yeah. but like how scary it is to be like, hey, you know, you like my site. Now pay for it. I, I hate that. I honestly, like, I hate having to do, it, like, a Patreon. Like, I, I resisted it for the longest time because I was like, I don't like asking people for money. And it's like, but the, the reality is, like, the money we get from the Patreon isn't enough. Like, it should be double what it is now. And, like, honestly, for, like, me to make a living off of it, it would need to be, like, five to six times what it is now. That sucks to me because I would love to be able to, like, it's not even about, like, me making a living off of it. It's like, these artists are small, like, and need to be covered before, like, you know, so, like, it's like maybe you'd like to read or like you're interested in the artist you want to do something more i always tell the writers i was like like just add value to whatever you do don't be like this song is dope like you know what i mean because people are going to be on twitter and just be like four fire emojis you know yeah and but like give me meaning give me history give me context where does this fit in the broader history of, of this style of rap you know what is he doing with words or language or, or melodies that hasn't been done before and maybe that's like pretentious maybe that's esoteric but at the same time like i don't know i think that should exist and there's just not many places for it and i don't know how to make a patreon bigger unless you like put it behind a paywall right mm -hmm. like where it's like i think with a podcast it makes sense where you can be like well okay we'll do two episodes a week or one episode a week and the other one will be a you have to pay for the patreon right. to get the other right. one but like for a blog oh maybe that's what we should do yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean that i think it's like a good way to do it isn't but in, like i was thinking about it I was like what do i do with my blog do i do i make but like i want people to be able to know about these artists and you know and it's like putting it behind a paywall is like you know, do I make, you know, so I'm like, I've been doing Spotify playlists for the people that like, yeah. you know, are Patreon subscribers, but like, you know, giving away records. So like I have a label POW and like I'll give away the records if they donate enough. But, you know, I it, you don't want to go to the point where I'm like, hang out with me. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want like who would want to, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I was like, uh, who'd want to pay that for that? But it's well, like, have any labels ever approached you about like doing work for them and ring Yeah, I've, I've had those conversations. I, that's kind of why I started my own label, because it was just like I, I just. Not like it's like gonna be like a huge like money making endeavor or anything, but just sort of like I don't know. There's always artists that like like I love like basically I started the label because um, I don't know if you've listened to Chester Watson. He's like he's an artist on the label. He's he's incredible. I honestly think he's like one of the greatest like 
most un- he's he actually is very popular. He just hasn't, you know, Rolling Stone did a piece on him. We dropped his last album, you know, Pitchfork's done stuff in the past, but he hasn't like he's I think in the process of becoming like a really big thing because he's absolutely incredible. But I wanted to get him a deal, I think, with a couple labels go and name because I love these labels. But they didn't. he was about 17, 18 years old at the time, maybe even 16. And I was like, this kid's amazing. And nobody wanted to sign him. And I was just like, they're putting out these things like nobody presses up on vinyl. Like, again, like it goes back to the tangible thing where it's like I, I'm maybe romantic or nostalgic where I'm like, I think record like you, you're in my apartment. So there's tons of books, there's tons of records. It's like, mm-hmm. I love that shit. Like, otherwise, it's going to get lost in the fucking digital shuffle, kind of yeah. the, the abyss. So I don't know. I started with that. And like, I, you know, we put out a couple of records from the Outfit Texas, who was another group that like I've always loved. And I was like, why am I on a label? Because there's so many groups that just are somewhere between the mainstream and the underground, you know, and like, and it's like, I think about, um, you know, like, you know, people ask like, what is the point of a label? I think in 2018 or 2019, and that's like a valid question. I think, I mean, part of it is obviously promotion, but I think part of it is just like being a part of like, it's, it's a family everything you do. I, I try to like, make it like, I don't know, like as I've gotten older, like I realize more of the importance of community, I guess to go back to the land thing that was like, that was what was being a journalist in LA for the last decade, you know, I saw how low end theory became like a real extended family and Dame Funk's Funkmosphere was a thing and the LA Weekly was a family. I mean, some of my closest friends in the entire world used to write for the LA Weekly. I mean, it really brought us together, you know? And I think it's important to have those kind of institutions where, you, you know, cause as like an antidote to kind of the the, the digital like loneliness. Cause right, cause like that means the thing you like, so, I mean, I know, sure you guys feel like that, but sometimes it's just like you're fucking shouting into the void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And when you have like, when you see someone in person where they're like, oh, I fuck with that, it's just such a different thing. I'm sure like when you meet like your fans or whatever, like they're like, that that's like the best thing you can have when someone's like, oh, this, you know, and you, you see them in person. You for sure. Them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it has like a more of a deeper meaning. So I've been trying to kind of, and the label, you know, it's too, it's like, the goal is to get these kids as big as possible so they can go to a major label or wh- whatever they want to do or they don't even need a label and like, fine, like you're good, like go go fly. So much like you're doing, you know, a Patreon for your website, you're also with the land building something where it's like, it takes money to operate, <sighs> yeah, right? it's so expensive. But at the same time, you're also considering making it a nonprofit. So what's the yeah. blueprint to How this? How do you, yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, I mean, and that that is the question that we are, we have been figuring it out, and I. I, I How tough is that? It's so hard. It's it's so hard to do anything without like you know like without a Medici, you know, and like sometimes you get lucky, and like you know like Red Bull did take out an ad in in our magazine. Uh, Amoeba Records took out an ad. Uh, this place called The Lodge in Highland Park. Uh, Spaceland is a big promotion company in LA. They took out an ad. There were like several oh, FS, uh, FSG books took out two full page ads, which was like incredible. Like one was on Kobe, one was on uh, the author Brian Phillips. That is kind of like so basically we had to we got money from for this issue from a variety of places, right? So we didn't even know how much it costs, right? We're like, how many copies do we need? What kind of stock is it? Like, and until the very end, like it's a nightmare. You're like, okay, well, 112 pages is this, but then you start laying out the paper and you're like, oh, this is, needs to be cut. This needs to be longer. Yeah. And it ended up being 144 pages, right? So then you have to figure out how much it costs. And it ended up costing like, it's like $23,000 just to print like 15,000 copies of a magazine. So then you're like, basically we we cobbled this together from this this magazine called Epic Magazine. I don't know if you heard of them. They're they're amazing like they're like uh dan fearman who used to run grantland oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. is one of the and this guy josh bearman who's a really distinguished journalist did you did you read the story in gq about t Rock going to the jewish old age home yeah, yeah yeah he wrote that story and um so they were just like they have a philanthropic they have a non-profit arm and they they gave us a decent amount of money uh we had to do fundraisers um we've done a couple fundraisers and that's kind of been a drag as i'm like hitting up artists and being like can you please play our fundraiser and of course everyone had you know there's a lot of artists that are really cool about it but 
you know, that it sucks to have to like ask people to do something yeah. for free. But then yeah. like none of the editors are really going to make money off of this. We're, it's been like strictly for to build something that can last. So some fucking fascist can't buy it and like just destroy it and then deprive the city of what something that should be important. Like, I think all of us are kind of figuring out now, like, you know, we're of the age now where we have to build the institutions. We're old enough where we can, where we have a network where it can kind of grow and we have to do it because like, I mean, the truth is like previous generations have failed us. Like in, in every sense of the word, you know, it, 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 whether it's like labels exploiting artists or whether it's, you know, you think about the independent labels of the 80s and 90s, they all consolidated. And now there's not that many. We have to build more like solid independent labels. We have to, you know, like what you guys do is like, you know, you're building your own like media company in, in, in ways like, you know, Vice mm -hmm. is like laying off people, you know, like BuzzFeed is laying off people like we need. Um, maybe it's like not about building these behemoths, these conglomerates, but it's maybe it's about building like little sustainable kind of like yeah, indie mom and pop shops. Yeah, yeah. Like that can, you know, maybe make a couple people living rather than have to be, a, you know, like, cause the thing about the vice layoffs is so wild. You're like, they made 600 million last year. That's fucking nuts to think of like a company that makes $600 million as a media company, but somehow they're still laying off people. So I think it's with the land I'm trying to, we, yeah. So basically we raised this money. I had to sell ads. I don't want to fucking sell. I hate that right, shit. But right. but luckily, people in the, like I think now we're at like this this inflection point where people realize what matters, right? Like I do. I think like the, if there is a silver lining to the Trump like chaos and and just the most awful you know extinction level event that's happened and one of them since Buster Rhymes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> since yeah, Buster yeah, Rhymes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's only two years left. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but I think it's people do realize that like okay, we do, like, the, the local news matters, like, independent art, like, matters. We have to support, like, people because they are, like, you know, we there are these people kind of on the, the front lines fighting against the darkness is kind of, not to say I am, but, like, there's a lot of people that are really doing it, and, like, myself included. I mean, the people that I work with, I, I, like, not to take full credit because, honestly, like, there are so many really, like, we have an editorial team of six and, you know, of co-editors and, you know, and, the and like, honestly, like, people, like, had to care. You know, we did. People had to like support that boycott. People had to make phone calls to shut them down. And like that to me was super inspiring because who the fuck knows? Like, I, I just honestly like I started like tweeting one day because I was like, fuck these motherfuckers. Like, I'm not going to I'm going to dunk on them. I'm not going to let this happen. Like, you know, or at least I'm going to ruin their, you know, like, you know, like I yeah. like, 50. It was a big, you know, so I was like, oh, like 50. I'm just going to just like I'm going to jar rule them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah By the yeah. Front, front two rows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so this is my fire fest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you look back at you as the kid who who yelled on your your high school teacher <laughs> or, or even the guy who let a walkout or was part of a walkout of your college baseball team um did you can you see your leadership capabilities in who you were back then so I'm, I'm really good at leading a rebellion i'm not really like good at like being like the mainstream kind of like like i could never be like I, I wouldn't it's just not in my nature but i'm good at like kind of calling bullshit when i see it and trying to like build like a you know we we, we had like a strong like kind of a boycott type thing with the baseball team like where most of the team did not return and that required big sacrifices so like I don't know. I, I I always I guess I've been drawn to these kind of like these kind of figures that like you know the the, the quote like the the famous Bob Dylan quote was like the honest men living outside the law and I've never really that's why I've like kind of like freelance my whole career. I, I'm a big fan of team because like nothing happens without it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm probably like kind of difficult and I kind of like I want to be like have a big input and I'm not interested in power for power's sake. Like I would love like I love. You know, of course, I like getting my like, word in, like having like my vision implemented or whatever crazy harebrained scheme I have. But at the same time, I would never like. I don't know. I don't. I hated boss. You know what I mean? It's like the, yeah. I hated bosses. Yeah. I hated people that like. I hated bullies. I guess that's a really probably where like the thing is. I don't like being bullied. I, I don't like like people that exploit 
And I think like, I think that's like, we have to do that because I mean, I don't know, like you see it around, like in this, everything in American life. I mean, capitalism is a system designed to exploit, not to be like super ad busters but like, that's the reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think like we have to, I mean, that's what's cool about like what AOC has been doing is like, yeah. I love that she just like talk shit like, and, and like, where's Mitch? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where's Mitch? Like people need to do shit like that. And it's like, people can say like, I mean, there's always those people that are going to be like, there are people with LA weekly thing. They're like, you're going a little too far. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't call them Nazis. And you're like, well, they are, right. <laughs> you know, more like, you know, more or less, but you need people that are like really, that's, I, I love like people that do fight like that. I mean, because the Republicans are, had, fought like that. I mean, what was the Tea Party if not just a racist cabal of idiots that just kept on like, that That notion of the Overton window I think is really true, right? Yeah. Whereas, and I think like that was what AOC has done is really brilliantly. It was like, now all of a sudden the 70% tax rate on people making $10 million is a, is a you know, the Green New Deal is a conversation that like we have to have. Yep. And like, that's great. So I, I hope like, I don't know, I, I kind of see, I have an allegiance to kind of people that like kind of, uh, like not outlaws because like, you know, it's not about that. It's about like the subversiveness because I do think if you don't have those people, like those are all the artists I was always drawn to, you know, that's maybe why I like liked rap so much in the first place is because rap is like, that's like the coolest thing in the world to me. It was like, they're like, all right, you're like living in a South Bronx hell, like where the government has basically ignored you and abandoned you. And like, you know, like built this expressway to like segregate the community. And they're like, all right, well, we're going to create the greatest artistic system. Yeah. Ever so created. And we know this well. It, it's one thing to, while you're, you're putting your, creativity out there and 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 your your heart soul and blood sweat and tears and all, all that on the line and it's cool to know within yourself that you're leaving something good but who are the people who have reached out to you and said hey um we respect what you're doing and keep going um like you know it, it, it's like one of those big and small things i remember when like the boycott uh first started like thundercat like was like super supportive wow. and like i love I, th- I love his music and that was cool like uh Dame Funk, I'm like a, you know, like, but in, in terms of, uh, like the people from Epic, like, you know, giving us like money with no string. I, I remember we had a meeting with them right when they were like, I mean, they, they gave us, you know, like we shouldn't get into logistics, but they gave us a, a sizable money that like basically was the difference between us being like, how the fuck are we going to ever do this? Like, okay. Now we only need to raise X amount of money. That seems like a manageable thing. Cause we were really adamant about paying our writers. I wanted to pay our photographers and we were all as the editors were like, look, if we don't make any money, that's fine. Like yeah. everyone else has to get paid first. But like them stepping up and being like, you know, and these are like, you know, the guy who ran Grantland and he used to be an editor of GQ and he ran MTV News, Dan Fearman. Like, yeah, yeah. He's an incredible, like an incredible person. And they were just like, yeah, we believe in what you're doing or what we think what you're doing is important. And honestly, like not to like, because I'm obviously not like a corporate guy, but like the advertisers like taking like our like we we sold like, you know, like 10 to 12 thousand dollars in ads. And like that's off nothing. That's just off being like, OK you know, you loud guy on Twitter, <laughs> like, yeah. but like, I, I, we trust you because we believe, you know what I mean? The city needs this, you know, and I've been talking to like different labels and trying to explain, and I think everybody kind of gets it because like, I would be like, remember that story I used to write for you on the LA Weekly? Well, that that's not going to happen. And it's not about, it's not happening for you, but like, you have to understand that it's not going to happen to the other, the young artists, right? Because it's not about, and it's about the young writers. It's about like, I learned how to write because I was allowed to write weird in a place like the LA Weekly. So, and that's kind of with POW, the website, I try to do that too, to kind of teach people how to like, not teach people how to write. I think it's sort of like Kurt Vonnegut had a great quote where he was like, you can't really teach anyone how to write. It's like correcting the flaws in someone's golf swing. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot about that. And but it, it is about that because it has because I, I do get worried about the, the future of literacy and that's not being like kind of like 
but like, I mean, that's the reality. It's like, every, like pivoting the video is not like it's a joke euphemism, but like that is the reality of it is like most things like if you really look at even the most the most popular interviews are often like YouTube interviews. I remember when I was in Baton Rouge, like this guy's like, oh, you interview Kevin Gates? I was like, yeah, I've interviewed him like once, once or twice. And he's like, which one was it? I've seen all of them, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that was like, whoa, OK, that's that is a different mentality that I didn't even understand. So. Yeah, I, I think it's just about, I mean, long-winded answer, obviously, as they all are, but yeah, but it's, yeah, it's it, to, for how people like trust what you're going to do. And I, I'm, I'm really proud of it, honestly. Like I, I want to, my, my goal is that, you know, I want to come out to New York and like, I want to go to like Chicago and like wherever I go, like bring it. And just like, if someone wants to get a copy, I'll give it to you for free. It's, it's free in LA. I mean, people, a lot of people did pre-orders like just to support, you know, if you were mailing it out, if they don't live in LA, but a lot of people from LA were just like, yeah, we'll give you 20 bucks because it's just kind of down for the cause. I want people to rebuild a village voice and not maybe call it the village voice or rebuild creative loafing and not call it creative loafing. And like, I think print is important. I really would love to inspire other people to, to do this. And I, it's certainly like the most difficult thing I've ever done. What is the hope for uh, not only circulation, but also like how often you're going to try and put it out? It's going to be 15,000 circulation. And if people yeah. want to help, where can they go? Um, they can definitely buy a pre-order uh, on the landmag.com. By the time this comes out, it'll, so yeah, we're gonna try to do it quarterly. So hopefully we will have pre-orders for the second issue, but probably by the time this airs, uh, this is, it's coming out like early February, like February 10th, I think is like the actual release date. And then we're hoping to do at least two more issues this year, probably one in the summer and one at the end of the year, like kind of a wrap up. And then hopefully in 2020, I would love to make it a quarterly. I think that's like kind of what we're really pushing for. There's something cool about being a cult classic. And I or think- Or cult leader. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> and that's why there's Kool-Aid in that water. Yeah. <laughs> you will drink it. Though. That's what I'm saying. When you, when you talk about how you're gonna make this a nonprofit, I'm like, you should make it a religious institution. <laughs> no, like yeah. L. Ron Hubbard said, because that's where the money is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a noble cause that you're doing, but a realistic one. And I think that's the best part of it. And I hope that people really do contribute. And I hope that you get the chance to keep contributing to this because I think it is a real thing where it's like stuff does disappear. Yeah. And and you're doing great work. Keep boycotting. Uh, yeah. It's still Weekly. boycott weekly. Yeah. It's and like Seminal Media is a staff record label. Is a motherfucking group. That's right. You know? and, and and congratulations on everything. And, oh, thanks, and we're really looking forward to the yeah. Lab. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Waste Time with It's the Real Jeff. People want to find out more about us. I'm Eric. You're Jeff. Together. We are It's The Real. If people want to know more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. If people want to find out more about what's going on in our universe, where can they go? You can always go, and I mean always, 24-7, 365. What? Even on Christmas, wow. and especially on Arbor Day. <laughs> you can always go to itsthereal.com slash shop. Go get your It's The Real.com wares today. All right. We're talking about mugs. We're talking about rhyme books. We're talking about t-shirts. Hell, Anything else? We've even got our newsletter on that website. What? Which is for free. Well, definitely do that. Yeah. If you uh, if you sign up for the newsletter, we will send you a newsletter. That's the deal. That's the guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> it's the real guarantee. <laughs> also, you can find our podcast, old episodes, and new ones on iTunes, or anywhere else, Spotify, CastBox. CastBox, people fucking love CastBox. <laughs> people love CastBox. SoundCloud. You can always go find old episodes and new ones. Search for It's The Real, or A Waste of Time With It's The Real, or Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review The Movies. I, I suggest people do that. Catch up now, because we got new episodes on the way. You can also go and find us on social media, 
at it's the real on Twitter, at it's the real on Facebook, at it's the real on Instagram. Jeff, I was listening to our friend Currency and our friend Wiz Khalifa. They have a new project called 2009, which I really enjoyed, and it reminded me that we have an awesome song with Currency and Smoke Dizza called Sugar, Sugar High. High. Yeah. And I think you guys should go check that out. And if they want to, where can they do that? You can always go to Spotify, search for Teddy Bear Fresh. That's our album. Okay. Yeah, go listen to it. Well, don't, you, don't just listen to one song. We're okay. Come for one, stay, stay for, the for them all. Jeff, we love to shout out everybody who has uh, done something kind to us. You, you send us something like a ring light or a pair of pants i need jeans we we will shout you out i'm willing to buy jeans but today today before we got any jeans or any lights yeah we said hey if you guys want to be shouted out because you signed up for the newsletter let us know right now yeah first five to do it and we have more than five yeah we did like eight all right the it's the real eight free the it's the real eight i want to shout out saul luna I also want to shout out Alex Dixon, who might be the same person as AJ Dixon. Don't know. From Sioux City, South Dakota. I also want to shout out Dip Gang, our people here in New York. I want to shout out Kieran Oliver from Alberta, Canada. I want to shout out Victor from Providence. I want to shout out Aaron Francisco from Hayward, California. And Pablo Pandeli from Ontario, California. And also Justin Wagner. I did say on uh, I have the data on a, on a spreadsheet. Yeah. About uh, 50% of the people, I don't know where they're from. Justin Wagner, I don't know where you're from. Damn. Well, guys. Saul Luna, I don't know where you're from. When you sign up for the for the thing. No, it only asks for your name. All right. Well, we'll we're, we're going to figure it out. All you have to do is just be born with a unique name that I can find <laughs> you and, and assign a location to you. And until that day, Jeff. Now for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Brrrah!